Have you ever heard about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ? I, uh, I'd be surprised if anyone came here today uh, not hearing about that news before, that amazing news. And most of us have heard about the cross and the empty tomb in church or Sunday school uh, or maybe flannel graph in vacation Bible school or a cartoon Bible storybook or whatever. So I doubt that you're surprised to hear that Jesus of Nazareth is uh, God's son, the Messiah, who died on a Roman cross, was buried in a tomb, was dead for three days, and then walked out of the tomb alive as champion over sin and death. With so many people across the world never having heard this message. We are so blessed to have heard it over and over again. With that in mind, I am going to do something a bit unconventional. It's Easter morning, and I'm not going to talk a lot about the resurrection. That's right. Uh, I'm going to forgo the conclusive evidence and presuppose the resurrection in order to focus on a few implications of the resurrection that you might not have thought of. See, the resurrection is true. Jesus is alive. Saints, he's alive and helping you every day. And I want to help you apply the resurrection on your drive to work on Monday. And as you parent your children or face trouble, the resurrection assures you that Jesus is with you as your gentle shepherd. He knows you, feeds you, leads you, protects you. He pastors you every day. The famous 23rd Psalm is not the likely candidate for Easter. Uh, And some of you might be wondering, how in the world is he going to connect the resurrection to Psalm 23? And I assure you, it's not a stretch. It's not a stretch. Consider John 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He explained that he knows his own sheep and his own sheep know him. His sheep hear his voice. And then Jesus said this, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The shepherd died for his sheep, but the shepherd also rose from the dead for his sheep to make absolutely sure that they got two greener pastures. Rising from the dead is part of his shepherding role. What good is a dead shepherd to the sheep? The resurrection means Jesus is alive and and he's with you and he's able to help you. Therefore, the resurrection changes how we interpret Psalm 23. David was the songwriter, which is cool because when he was a kid, he was a shepherd. He used to watch over sheep, and he knew a lot about caring sheep, tending them, and he has something to teach us from his unique experience. It's also helpful to note that Psalm 23 is not a description of how the Lord cares for everyone indiscriminately. Psalm 23 assumes a close covenantal relationship with the Lord through faith in Christ, which David had. The Lord is my shepherd, he said. Psalm 23 is for God's people alone, not for God's enemies, as verse 5 alludes to. God does not treat his enemies the same way that he treats his dear, precious sheep. 
So Psalm 23 is sufficient reason for unbelievers to put their faith in Christ as their shepherd so instead of God's judgment, they can enjoy his tender shepherding care, which they so desperately need. The beautiful metaphors of this song tell of a Christian's life, how the Lord gives them good things, even in the darkest valleys of life. In verses 1 through 4, the Lord is shown as a shepherd who tenderly cares for his sheep. And then in verses 5 and 6, the imagery seems to change a little bit as the Lord is depicted as a gracious host who, who welcomes and serves his loved and honored guests. So each of the following seven points are gratifying realities for every believer because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, number one, to be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David used the personal, intimate, covenant name of God, Yahweh. And like a little sheep whose welfare was entirely dependent on the loving care of his shepherd, David said, Yahweh is my shepherd. Throughout Scripture, the Lord as shepherd of his people is an important metaphor. Perhaps the most compelling example is in Ezekiel 34. Listen to how good and gracious these words are for God's people. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now how does the Lord do all those wonderful things for his people? Well, a few verses later, the Lord added this, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. That one shepherd, the one who feeds and leads God's people, is the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord seeks his sheep, rescues his sheep, gathers his sheep, leads his sheep, feeds his sheep, and gives rest to his sheep through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Listen to how Hebrews 13 verse 20 connects Jesus' resurrection to Jesus' role as shepherd. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. God brought Jesus up from the grave so that he would shepherd us, his people, into peace. 
As a believer, when you face various trials and temptations, you should say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. And you must know that he leads you by his word and by his spirit every day. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, number two, to meet your greatest needs. To meet your greatest needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or there is nothing I lack. The shepherd meets every need of his sheep. His provision is for his sheep or for those who trust him. Psalm 34 verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Those who fear him have no lack. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have all their greatest needs met in him. Faith and covenantal relationship are essential to our satisfaction. David added in verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That is wonderful for a little helpless sheep. Wonderful. Verse 2 offends our American individualism and autonomy. Even much evangelical theology. First, we like to feel self-sufficient. I've got things all together. I don't need anybody's help. I think I'm doing all right. But the gospel says, no, you are not self-sufficient. You cannot be. Each of us is desperate. And that's not hyperbole. We are desperate for a shepherd. Second, verse 2 says, he makes me lie down. Well, we don't like to be made to do anything, do we? it's, it's, It's in us. It's ingrained in us to be the captain of our soul. But the gospel says the Lord liberates our enslaved will and by his sovereign grace leads us to better pastures than the pastures we found for ourselves. Pastor Philip Keller wrote a book titled A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Keller had a unique perspective on Psalm 23 because for eight years he was a shepherd. So listen to what he said about sheep. It's fascinating. It is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. That's interesting. The shepherd meets those needs so that the sheep can lie down and rest. There was a commercial when I was a kid. I can't tell you what it was advertising. Some of the best commercials, you're like, what was it? That was hilarious, but I have no idea what what the product was. So I can't remember that, but it showed some guys headed to a river to raft, and they were pumped, and one of the excited guys said, white water, and they were so into it, and then all of a sudden, they see the river. Uh, We're talking class six violent water. Uh, just terrifying scene. And the response was great in the commercial because their faces, they just fell in fear uh, as they're looking at what, what they're going to embark on. For a sheep to drink from class six water, uh, that's anxiety producing. Okay? Raging water does not have a calming effect. Uh, David here pictures tranquility, calmness in verse two. The Lord leads his sheep beside still and quiet 
and calm water. They drink and they rest and they're refreshed without fear of being washed away in the current. What wonderful imagery of repose. Jesus Christ suffered a cross and rose from the dead so that his sheep's hunger and thirst would be satisfied in him and they could lie down and enjoy sweet, sweet rest in him. He is their rest. Verse 2 is nothing but sweet grace and blessing. Beloved, this is how much our shepherd loves us. He meets our deepest needs of peace, comfort, righteousness, holiness, joy, goodness, salvation, and life in himself. Apart from sovereign grace, you and I cannot lie down in green pastures or drink and rest beside still waters. The the tender and sovereign shepherd must give us rest. He must give us soul refreshment. You and I need to recognize our spiritual destitution before Psalm 23 is a great blessing for us. Independence and self-sufficiency will cause you to wander off by yourself and get eaten by a wolf, which translates into you will be consumed in your sin and misery and Satan will own you. Look, verses 1 and 2 do not guarantee Christians health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. There is no guarantee for that. These verses promise more. The good shepherd has told his sheep, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. And with that, every one of the Lord's sheep can say with sincerity, with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Imagine you have no food in your house, no money to buy anything, You're six months behind on the rent payments. Your power was turned off. You have no car, and you were just fired from your job. That's a good day. But tomorrow, you are guaranteed. It will be direct deposited into your bank account an inheritance of $600 trillion. Okay? I think you would feel like your needs were met. Right? you will experience hard things in this life. It may seem as if God allows some of your needs to go unmet. Where are you on that one, God? I'm pretty much in pain on that. Doesn't feel like I have my needs met. But if you have Jesus as your shepherd, you have all that you need in Him. In Him. Because if all else fails in this life, the shepherd is still leading you to God where you will find rest forever. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, number three, to restore your soul. The word restore can refer to conversion, but in this context, it more likely refers to the Lord refreshing, renewing, or reviving our inner selves. Uh, It's similar to Psalm 19, verse 7, which says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The same idea. The shepherd revives us. He renews our spiritual vigor through the Word and by His Spirit. Have you ever been mowing the lawn on a really hot summer day or you're, you're on a run or something uh, and you're, you're just hot and sweaty and it's gross and you take 
a drink of cool water or Gatorade. And after guzzling, you go, ah. Now, why do you do that? What, what's the ah for? Okay, because that drink is so refreshing. You love it. You're taking it in. It, it revives you. You're able to get back at that lawn and finish or slog out the rest of your, your run. Dear little sheep, precious little sheep, God does not want your soul to be tired and weary and worn out. He wants your soul to be refreshed. And so he provides you means by which he restores your soul. Do you know from Scripture how Jesus will restore your soul? You need to know what God says about that so that your soul is not perpetually tired, weary, and worn out. And I bet some of you are feeling that this morning. Tired, weary, worn out. Your soul is just limping along. Well, let me tell you what God's word gives to you. The shepherd gives you his word. The shepherd gives you his spirit. He gives you the local church preaching, teaching, the sacraments, prayer. He gives you elders who love and care for you and lead you. He gives you a community of believers to encourage you and to keep you accountable. All for what reason? For the refreshment of your soul. The refreshment of your soul. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, number four, to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life and he rose from the dead to make sure, to make absolutely sure that each of his precious sheep would follow him right on the paths of righteousness. Now, I think today a lot of people like the idea of Jesus Christ saving them from hell, but they're not so excited about the idea of Jesus Christ leading them in the paths of righteousness, in obedience to God's law. And that's a big problem in the church today. God's law is not burdensome for God's sheep. It's good, and it lays out for them a righteous pathway leading them directly into their greater happiness. The law is so precious. Jesus Christ died and rose again to break us from the vicious dominion and power of sin. He gave us His Holy Spirit so that we, His people, might have the power to obey and get joy in obedience. When Jesus saves you, he then leads you in the paths of righteousness. He walked out of that tomb alive in order to shepherd you into his likeness and into greater obedience to God's precious law. The shepherd knows where to take you. Do you believe that? He knows what he's doing. He knows where to lead. He knows all the good places. He knows what will refresh and restore your soul. Considering how broken and imperfect... We are, and considering how shameful our behavior is at times, why does the shepherd keep shepherding us? Why? Well, look closely. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. First, God made us a promise in Christ. God's reputation is at stake here. He will conform his people to his son, to the honor of his name, to his great name. 
Second, God's name is is glorious, and when he takes broken and imperfect people and by his grace conforms them to his son, he gets the glory, and his name is magnified and praised in the sanctification of his people. You acting more and more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is extremely important because it promotes the great name of your shepherd who is leading you to be just like him, transforming you. There is a dangerous trend in uh, American Christianity among evangelical Christians. You might have picked up on it. Author and speaker Jen Wilkin calls it celebratory failureism. Wilkin wrote an excellent little article on law and gospel titled, Failure is Not a Virtue where she defined and critiqued celebratory failureism as, quote, the idea that believers cannot obey the law, believers cannot obey the law, and will fail at every attempt. Wilkins says, these days obedience has gotten a bad name and failure has gotten a makeover. And she's right. It's really concerning. God is not glorified when believers fail. He is glorified when he extends them grace and continues to lead them on the paths of righteousness. Jesus rose from the dead to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. It's a process, an ongoing process until we are finally glorified in the end. Wilkin helpfully exposes the danger in making it the life strategy for the day to fail, repent, repeat. She exposed the danger in Christians believing the lie that they are epic fails in the righteousness department and that they should toss out their checklists and laws and cast themselves on grace. Well, that might sound great, but that's not the gospel. Of course, Christians have no inherent righteousness of their own. We have an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us, given to us as a gift. Yet, because of grace... And the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians can indeed perform great acts of righteousness and obedience. It's not a dying cause. They can obey the law. They can make progress in holiness precisely because their good shepherd leads them in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I love what Jen said at the end of her article. The law becomes a gracious means of conforming us to the image of the Savior. We love the law because we love the God of the law who has engraved it on our hearts. We do not start our days planning to fail, nor do we celebrate failure. Rather, we set our places like flint and resolve by the power of the Spirit to obey. That's for Christians now, understand. The power of the Spirit in us set like flint to obey. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus rose from the dead to help us obey the law. He gives us the ordinary means of grace to strengthen us, preaching, the sacraments, prayer. Our shepherd works through those means to pastor us into greater and more joyful obedience to him. Take full advantage of the loving, shepherding care that he provides you in the local church so that you may flourish on the path of righteousness. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, number five, to alleviate your fear with his presence. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Christian life is green pastures, uh, still waters, and dark valleys. Sheep get really scared in the dark valleys. Veils have shadows. And it's frightening for little sheep to wander alone through deep darkness. Predators lurk in the shadows of the valley. Insecurity, apprehensiveness, anxiety is understandable for fat little sheep. Wandering alone, defenseless sheep. And you've, you've likely been through some dark valleys, some very deep shadows. Being a Christian doesn't exempt you from pain and suffering or even the threat of terrible evil. And that should remind us of our ever-present need of the shepherd. How could David honestly say, I will fear no evil? Really? Honestly, man? Because on Friday, I went to WGAL's webpage, homepage, plenty of reasons to fear there. My goodness, a deadly building collapse, police searching for a hit-and-run driver, a U.S. service member killed, a runaway pickup crash, a teen battling brain cancer. Those are some dark valleys. I will fear no evil? How? Well, David gave a simple answer. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The presence of the Lord and the reality of his protection gives comfort to the sheep in the valleys of the shadow of death. The rod beats down any threats. The staff makes the shepherd's footing secure and helps him direct the sheep. There is a remedy for the fear, insecurity, apprehensiveness, and anxiety that often arise in the shadows of dark valleys. It is the presence of the Lord. It is the presence of the shepherd. It is his sure promises. Martin Luther got this exactly right. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Fear, panic, terror come rushing at you from the shadows. They are fast. They are furious. But beloved, beloved, dear sheep, our shepherd is right there with us to fight for us, to protect us. He's got the rod. He's got the staff. He's with you. He's with you. His word, his promises are a powerful force against the enemy, against darkness, against evil. The resurrection is Christ's victory over all evil. It's done. He is the conqueror. So he is our living, valiant shepherd who is with us. Instead of setting your goal for the day as fail, repent, repeat, how about making this your goal? Hear, trust, fight, win, rejoice, repeat. Hear the promises of God. Trust the promises of God. Fight by faith. Win by the Spirit. Rejoice in God's faithfulness. Repeat. Read the beautiful truth of Heidelberg. Question and answer 27 and 28, which wonderfully explain God's beautiful providence. He upholds all things by the sovereign power 
of his fatherly hand. Question 28 asks, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Or we could ask it maybe this way, how does it comfort us, beloved sheep, to know our sovereign shepherd is with us in the valley of the shadow of death? The Heidelberg answers, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. Move, that is a wonderful statement. Even Heidelberg answer number one says this, without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. What does that do for you, dear Christian? Does that do anything inside to give you comfort in your anxiety? There are dark, frightening valleys in life, but nothing in those valleys can separate us from our shepherd's loving care. And all things happen according to his will. He is in control. Therefore, we don't have to fear evil, and we can be comforted by the Lord's presence and the Lord's providence. Listen to John Calvin's insight on this. He's so good on the Psalms. Listen, and certainly, the reason why we are so terrified when it pleases God to exercise us with the cross is because every man, that he may sleep soundly and undisturbed, wraps himself up in carnal security. But there is a great difference between this sleep of stupidity and the repose which faith produces. Since God tries faith by adversity, it follows that no one truly confides in God but he who is armed with invincible constancy for resisting all the fears with which he may be assailed. The repose produced by faith is far, far better than this weird rest that's produced by carnal security. For what calm can money produce when you have cancer? What tranquility can a beautiful house produce when your family is in shambles? What peace can toys produce when the nightmare comes? Nothing produces calm, tranquility, and peace like the reality of, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Faith believes that. And enjoys that and takes comfort in that. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, number six, to be your gracious and lavish host. I think the, the imagery changes in verse five from good shepherd to gracious host. There's some debate about that, but I, I see a change. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The Lord arranges a banquet of bountiful delights then welcomes his people to sit at his table to eat, drink, and enjoy. All the while, and this is great, their enemies watch in confusion, not understanding the unwavering hope and joy and blessing coming from their fellowship with the Lord. They just don't get it. Even persecution, trying to beat the... What happens many times under persecution? The church grows stronger and it grows. Why? The enemies don't get this. 
the enemies of God. They don't understand where this comfort comes from, this blessing, this lavish blessing. The countenance of the, of the righteous shines as if oil has brightened their face. Their, their overflowing cup signifies their abundant blessing and well-being. What satisfaction God's banquet guests have when he lays out the meal for them and he's with them. This is what sweet communion with Christ is all about. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Abundant life is what Jesus is like, and that's not all about this life. That's about who he is forever. The resurrection ensures every believer abundant blessings in communion with the Lord. In verse 6, David expressed the confidence that every believer can experience in union with Christ. Verse 6 is a certain reality for believers. This is the hope we extend to those unbelievers who are trapped in their sin and misery. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, number seven, to ensure for you goodness and steadfast love forever in his presence. Amazing. David said with great certainty, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For those who trust in Christ, God's goodness chases them. God's mercy, compassion, and loving kindness chase them. Verse 6 is is the confirmation we need of the faithfulness of God to his people. Verse 6 is assurance for every single person who trusts in Christ. The house of the Lord in verse 6 can refer to the tabernacle or later the the temple. It is the holy place where God dwells. But in verse 6, David Use the term to allude to the eternal dwelling place of God. The eternal dwelling place of God. For those who trust the Lord, like David, they are welcomed into the eternal house of the Lord to live with him forever in never-ending blessing and joy. When David wrote Psalm 23, he was tasting heaven. He was longing for the eternal presence of and fellowship of God. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, dear precious little sheep of the the great divine shepherd, Jesus died and rose to make absolutely sure that you would enjoy eternal fellowship with him in the celestial house of the Lord. He made sure that it happened, that it will happen. He is the security. Jesus knows how good, perpetual, untainted fellowship with God is, and he wanted to give it to you. He wanted you to have it, and so he died, and he rose again in order for you to have that comfort, that eternal comfort. Now, we've, we've likely heard the resurrection many, many times. This, this story, and, and we're in constant danger of trivializing it, of, of making it routine, old hat, mundane. But maybe, maybe if we, for a moment, just stop to consider it from a different angle, maybe if we consider all that Christ does for us every day now that he has risen, that, that we look at it from the angle of he's alive, he's with me, he is my shepherd, what is he doing for me? Maybe if we think that way, then maybe the resurrection will be a little sweeter for us this time, moving ahead. It is likely, just address some of you that are here, it is likely that some of you have heard all about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, but yet you haven't trusted in Christ for salvation. You don't know him. You know the story. I'm not refuting. 
you don't know him, okay? There's probably a few of you here. And so Psalm 23 is actually not a blessing to you. You know nothing of the blessings in this psalm because you don't know the shepherd. And so with all of my heart, with the Spirit hopefully speaking through His Word, through me, I plead with you to turn from your sin and trust in Christ so that you can say, along with us, God's sheep, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall have no lack because I have Him. That... Why are we so amped up? Maybe I'm the only one that's amped up. But why, I mean, why do we, this is what we want for you. We just want you to be happy in God and to know him as your good shepherd so that you don't want, that you don't limp through life with a miserable soul just wondering, is this as good as it gets? Because the answer is, it gets a lot better. But you have to know Christ, the shepherd, in order to benefit from his loving shepherd and care. So flee from sin. Run to Christ. Oh, that you would be able to delight in him and to be satisfied in Christ with us, the sheep. Saints, dear saints, Jesus rose to know you, to feed you, to lead you to protect you. He rose to be your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, you are so tender and merciful to us. You show us glorious things in your word. You give us your son, Jesus, as the preeminent and supreme shepherd of the church. We love you. And I pray that this message would be so good that it would sound so spectacular that those souls here today that do not know you would be so drawn to you through your truth by the work of your spirit and sovereign grace that they would run to the shepherd. Run to them, God. Run to them now with the full glory and beauty of your word. And may your powerful spirit drive Psalm 23 home, drive the gospel home, that this is what we have who are in Christ. And I pray for your dear sheep who are hearing this this morning. Oh, in the terror that they may face, I pray that you comfort their soul deeply. May they be reminded that their shepherd has not abandoned them, but he walks with them through the valley of the shadow of death. He will not turn. He will not falter. He will not fail. He will fight. Thank you, God, for that good news. That is precious to the sheep. Encourage your sheep. Love your sheep. Feed your sheep. Protect your sheep. May all of them here today know your comfort, that true soul comfort. All because you rose from the dead. We love you, God. Thank you for being kind to us and giving us your son. In his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.